0: please pray with me. Lord God, thank you for the gift of being able to be here today to worship you. I pray that you would speak to us today, Lord. Give us open ears and open hearts that we might receive you today, Lord. May you speak through my mouth, Lord. May you speak to your people, Lord, and draw us to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning. It is so good to see you all today. Uh, I have with me a shovel, of course. Uh, I hope it's not going to get deep in here today, but yes, I have with me a shovel. And um, because on Friday, I was doing some concrete work, right? And, And I was working in a wheelbarrow. Anyone ever done this before? That is fun work, don't you think? I mean, that is great stuff. You see why people rent those concrete mixers that spin around, at least. You don't have to shovel the stuff. And so I was mixing the concrete with the water, and I was stirring it back and forth. You know what happens to concrete when you add water to it? It gets heavy. It gets heavy. And you know what happens when you're trying to get water with your uh, three-year-old daughter helping you out? And she was uh, very helpful at handing me the hose. Point first. Right, you know, she'd be like, here, Dad. You know, and I'm like, ah, you know, all over me. So I'm getting soaking wet, trying to shovel this concrete. At one point, I had three 80-pound bags of concrete in the wheelbarrow at once, which wasn't a good plan, right? So I'm, like, trying to shovel this stuff back and forth and mix it up. And I came up with this idea. I'm like, hey, Archimedes, right, I'll use a lever technique to, move, to flip the concrete over. <laughs> Right, so I stuck the shovel in at the bottom right, really nice and deep because I want to get the dry stuff which always happens to be deepest in there and then I wedged the shovel on the end of the, the wheelbarrow and I just pushed it in further to cram it up so it was underneath that whole pile of uh, concrete but as I pushed it in further to get more of it my finger went with the shovel in between the wheelbarrow anyone ever done that before? You know, it doesn't, if you haven't, don't, right? Because it doesn't feel good to have your finger as the leverage point for the shovel as you're trying to pick up a few hundred pounds of concrete with it, right? And I was really reefing on the thing. I was, Urgh! and my finger was under there. And I'll tell you what, I let go of that shovel real quick. And what do you think I said at that point? Ouch. Actually, I kept my mouth shut. It was really a smart move. I think it helped that I have Ella there with me to give me that assistance. But no, my finger was in a place it didn't belong. It was in between the shovel and the wheelbarrow, and it was interfering with the process of mixing the concrete. It got in the way, it was in a place it didn't belong. And that's, I think, something like what's happening in our Old Testament passage for today. Uh, we've had a jump in years from our uh, Old Testament passage last week. What were we talking about last week? Anyone remember the main character? Moses, Moses, and how old was he last week? Three months, three months. that's right. Very heads up. Yeah, that's right. He was three months old, and he was um, condemned to death, right? Because he was a Hebrew boy, and Pharaoh said, no more Hebrew boys, we're going to kill all those boys. And But God, in his amazing way, came and saved the day, and Moses grew up. Moses grew up in the household of Pharaoh, surprisingly. Uh, He was raised as the foster child, or the adopted child, of the daughter to Pharaoh. He was raised in luxury, in this protected, safe environment, by Pharaoh's daughter. And Moses comes to adulthood, uh, but we don't get to see it in this passage, because it happened in a passage in between the baby one and where we're at now. Uh, Somehow he comes to adulthood, and he becomes aware of his Hebrew roots. We're not sure if Pharaoh's daughter maybe taught him this, or maybe he has some encounters with his family, his uh, old family. We're not sure how it happens, but somehow he knows that he is an Israelite. Now, in the passage we don't have either, another exciting thing happens in the life of Moses. Uh, Moses sees an Egyptian beating an Israelite. Because remember that the Israelites were the slaves of the Egyptians, and what do you think Moses does when he sees this Egyptian beating the Israelite? He throws a fit, and so bad a fit that he throws that what does he do to the Egyptian? He kills him. That's right. And then where does he? What does he do with the body? Come on, think of all those mafia movies you see. Buries him in the desert, right? It's like Las Vegas, right? Yeah. So he, he buries him in the desert, and he thinks. Ah, I've dealt with that problem. I have saved an innocent Israelite from the hands of the cruel Egyptians. Anyone remember what happens next, though? He sees, Somebody sees him. He's, he's seen, he now sees uh, two other Israelites fighting with one another. They're having a, a quarrel with each other. And Moses gets in the middle, you know, thinking he's important. He gets in between these two Israelites and he says, Stop it, stop it, brethren. Right? You can't fight like this. And one of them says to him, what are you going to do, Moses? Are you going to kill us and bury us in the desert too? Ooh, yeah. That was not good. And, so, uh, and somebody else gets wind of it as well. Anyone else know who this other person is? Pharaoh. Pharaoh. And do you think Pharaoh's excited? No, not in the right way at least. And so Moses has to run for his life. He has to flee into the wilderness. And it's there there in the wilderness that we catch up with Moses. In the time that we, uh, in between the running away and now, he's uh, experienced humility in a great way. He's gotten married, which I'll teach you, And he's had children, which if you don't learn humility through marriage, you will through having children. You know, you think you got it all figured out, and then you have kids, and you realize, oh my gosh, I've got nothing figured out at all. And so... Moses has had this great breaking down of his sense of self, his sense of who he is, what kind of greatness he is possible of. He's seen that he is a broken person. And so one day, this different Moses than we see from last week, uh, this Moses is out keeping the flock of his father-in-law, and he sees something unusual. What does he see? A burning bush. That's right. Well, we live in fire country. We see this stuff all the time, don't we? But what's different about this burning bush? It talks, it talks but else what else is about? it doesn't burn up. right? This is amazing. It just burns and doesn't burn up. And so Moses has this really this great script writing that says, there is something strange. this bush is bur- not burning up. I'm going to go check it out. And so he goes up to the burning bush and he hears God's voice speaking out of this burning bush. Both of these things are abnormal occurrences in case you were wondering. Now, God, from the burning bush, tells Moses to take off his sandals, because the place he is standing is holy ground. Because Moses is now in the presence of God, and God is holy. The Lord identifies himself to Moses, and tells Moses the plan that he has for the people of Israel, and for Moses himself. Now, this is really fascinating because the arc of Moses' life that we've seen so far is uh, one that began with great hope and promise, right? Born, new child to new parents. Everything looks good, but then he's condemned to death. And so he's hidden, and this, there's this real sense of despair and foreboding to such a point that his mother has to put him in a basket and turn him loose in the waters of the Nile. But then things turn up again for Moses, right? Because he's found by Pharaoh's daughter and there's this new life of hope and promise and he's raised in this amazing kind of upbringing in Pharaoh's own household. But then he takes Israel's salvation into his own hands, kills an Egyptian, and suddenly Moses' life goes down again. And he is driven out into the wilderness where he has to tend sheep for his father-in-law. And now... It's in this place, in this wilderness, broken and humbled, that Moses encounters God. Isn't that how it works in our lives, too? I mean, the stories we always hear and experience are those where we, where we get broken, we get humbled, and it's at that point that we find God. And so God introduces himself to Moses, and God tells him how he is planning to save his people, and that Moses, this broken and humble man, will be a part of God's plan. Now Moses, I'm sure at this point, can remember how he had tried to save his people earlier. And he remembers how poorly that went for him. But this time, things are different. This time, things are different because God says in our passage, I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians. Who's going to deliver the people this time? God, not Moses. God has come down to deliver his people from the Egyptians. God himself is going to do that work of being the deliverer. Moses, though, is still not convinced, right? This is a guy who's been burned before. And so he questions God and says, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? God's answer is simple. And it begins with, I will be with you. I will be with you. Those simple words illustrate to Moses what had been missing in his first plan. They illustrate to Moses what made his plan so effective at the beginning when he tried to take matters into his own hands. God was not with Moses in that impulsive and violent action. Moses was not disconnected from God's plan of deliverance. I mean, they both had the same goal of delivering the Israelites. Moses just kind of stumbled upon his but the means by which God was going to l- deliver his people was very different than Moses's. I think we're not so different than Moses in a lot of ways. We can be impulsive. We can be brash. We can see what we perceive to be the goal of God and we can seek to seize it. Right? We can see, uh, you know, this a hurting in this word or world, or a need in this world, and we think, oh, I've got the solution, I'll just plug it right in there. You know, I know exactly what's wrong with X person's life, and I'm going to help them solve their problems. Or, I see that, you know, I've got a solution to poverty in Nevada County, and I'm just going to go in and, and try and put it in there. And when the plan precedes God, things work out poorly. The challenge of a life led like this, the challenge of a life that tries to precede God in the goal in attaining his goal instead of following him, is that it leads to pain. When I was shoveling the concrete, right, remember I, I got the shovel in there nice and deep to flip the concrete over and to mix it up? But what I got in between the wheelbarrow and the shovel was my finger. Something that didn't belong in that place was inserted in there. And when I pressed down to do the work that was there before me, it hurt. It hurt. It led to pain. It led to me ultimately dropping the shovel, letting go of that plan, right? And having to step away for a while and see how the plan could be enacted in a better way. It's a simple illustration, but the same thing works with God. He's got a plan as well. And when we get in between his plan and the wheelbarrow, we get in in between his plan and himself, we end up hurt. And we end up hurting people around us. That's what Moses did. Moses got in between God and his plan. He thought he would be the one to save the Hebrews. But he didn't realize that that role is reserved for God alone. We often insert ourselves between God and his plan. We try to be the deliverers. But the result is pain. Pain for us. Pain for the people we're trying to serve. The way that God calls us to act as Christians is to wait upon his timing. To seek him in prayer. To study him in his word and see how he acts. See what are his patterns of behavior. And then wait on his timing. Wait for him to speak to us, to show us when to step forward into that work he has given us to do. To wait patiently for him until he is ready to enact his plan. Our place, as followers of Jesus Christ, is at the foot of the cross, awaiting God's salvation. Make no mistake, though, God's plan is a plan of redemption. We see this in in the delivery of the Hebrews from slavery in Egypt. But God seeks more than just freedom from physical slavery. He wants to save us from death itself. And that's why he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins, so that we could be saved from death and from slavery to sin. God has a great plan for you and me. It just requires that we look at him for salvation and follow him as he delivers. It requires that we humble ourselves, that we come to God as broken people, ready to receive his plan, and ready to follow him when he leads us. May we be people who seek the Lord in this way. And in so doing, God will transform the world through broken and humble people like you and me. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for Moses. Thank you for the blessing of seeing a man who came to the end of his wits, Lord, was broken and crushed, and yet you used him at that point, Lord, to redeem your people. Lord, we know that story in our own lives. We know the story of extending beyond you, Lord, and failing, and getting hurt and broken and hurting and breaking other people as well. Lord, teach us the new story. Teach us the new story of your redemption. Teach us how to wait upon you, Lord God, and then to follow you when you show us how to walk. Lord, may we be people who follow your direction and faithfully serve you this day and forevermore. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.